The um, passage we're going to be in is in Luke chapter 6 again. While you're turning there, I just want to say that um, the act of preaching is a very unique and mysterious act. If you think about it, uh, just in a logical sense, you have an individual standing before other individuals trying to communicate and explain things that he can't fully understand and that he can't fully uh, grab in his, his own mind or his own heart. And so he does the best that he can with the words that are before him or he should do the best that he can with the words that are before him trying to communicate some of the truths of Scripture as mysterious as sometimes they may be, but even more so, the truths of God as mysterious as God may be, He still revealed Himself to us and, and, and all the varied ideas. That's, that's what preaching is. It's this unique event. It's also a mysterious event. It is not as polished as we would like it to be. It's not as fluid or cohesive as we would like it to be. It's not always as pretty as the preacher would like it to be. You labor week in and week out and study a passage and try to craft something that's coherent and makes sense and flows together and then you get up on Sunday morning and it's just not there. And uh, that happens more than you would care to admit as a preacher and I'll just admit it's happening this morning. I have changed my notes countless times for this sermon this week. And I have wrestled with this passage and I stand today still feeling very uncomfortable. Because what we're looking at in Luke chapter 6 is so vitally important. And it's one of those passages that you come to as a, as a preacher that you see is so important for the church and has so affected your own heart that you come to this mental, spiritual wall that you don't quite know how to communicate the text in such a way that it needs to be communicated. And if any of you have taught before, either preaching or in Sunday school or at other events, you know that you you share maybe a tenth of what you actually study. You, you don't share everything that you've been impacted with throughout the week. And so that, that makes it hard too. As God works your heart in a passage, you want people to arrive to the same place that you do and and. You just don't have enough time to communicate all of that. But the real reason is, is back what I said. This is such an important passage because today's passage is one that deals with the heart. And it requires us to reflect. And it requires self-examination. And to try to communicate to a group of people that you love so desperately and so so dearly to try to communicate to them the importance of their heart in the eyes of God is a daunting task. But nonetheless, that's what I want to try to do. I want you to see your heart is what matters in the eyes of God. That Christ didn't die on the cross to change or redeem your external behavior. Christ died on the cross to change and redeem your heart, which determines your external behavior. 
the God of the Bible is, is a God who cares about your heart. Right? Isn't that the, the, the high price of, of faith in Jesus, of Christianity, that you don't just give part of your life to God, you have to give it all to God. He, he wants your heart, the core of who you are, the very soul, your very being. That's what God wants. That's what God desires. That's what God looks at. That's what God judges. That's what God is wanting to change and conform into the image of Christ. It's all a matter of the heart. We, we talk about Christianity and we wrestle with the faith and external matters and that's, that has its place. It's right and it's true. But really, the Christian faith is one about the hearts. It's a matter of your heart being changed by Jesus, being molded by Jesus, being conformed into the image of Jesus. And so when we come to something as mysterious and as vast and as broad and as important to God as the human heart, it can be difficult to communicate everything that God has been showing you throughout the week. And so I come this morning completely out of my element, abandoning my notes, not preaching like I normally would want to preach. I like to give structured outlines, and at least for myself, it may not be easy for y'all to follow, but it is for me, and, and that's what I like to do and how I like to do it, and I still do not feel comfortable with that today with this passage. And so my hope is that I'll just maybe walk through it in an uncommon way for me, Maybe bring out some observations and pray to the God of heaven that it speaks to your heart like He used it to speak to mine. Like I said, this is a passage. And really, anytime you deal with a passage of Scripture that deals with the heart, it requires you to wrestle with your own heart, right? And so I kind of come this morning a little bruised and beaten in that regard because I had to wrestle not only with trying to communicate it, but with my own convictions about what this passage is saying, and then, like I said before, just this abundant desire for you to know the importance of your heart in the eyes of God, and the choices you make influences your heart, right? So let's look at Luke chapter 6, and let's begin in verse 43. Let me say this, just kind of as I'm thinking through this passage on the fly here. Your external behavior does matter. The life you live does matter. But it matters insofar as it's a reflection of the condition of your heart. It, it's a reflection of the inside of who you are, the, the soul that you possess and what God is doing there. And that's what we come to in this passage in verse 43. Jesus is talking... Again, it's in this sermon, the context of this sermon, and He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the Heart, his mouth speaks. Now, in the context of this sermon, it seems as if Jesus is giving us a way to examine one another and examine ourselves. We've talked about in verses 27 through 36 how we are to relate with 
those who are of the world, those who are our enemies, Christ says, love your enemies. We talked about in verses 37 through 42 how we are to relate with those in the church. Judge not and you will not be judged. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Take the log out of your eye and then you can see clearly to take the speck that is out of your brother's eye. Now we come to this passage that seems to show us how to examine whether or not someone is belonging to the faith or not. And it seems to be an indication of the consistent pattern of fruit they bear. But we would commit a great injustice, I think, if we stop just at the outward examination of others. This is a passage, like I've said, that forces us to look inwards. It forces us to look at our own hearts. And it can be rather convicting just on the surface, right? When we start talking about the fruit we bear, we know that we don't add up. And we know our heart better than anybody else. When we start examining our own hearts, we know I certainly don't add up as much as I may want to disguise my heart that I know the truth of it, especially over time. And so, it's a passage that's very straightforward, very simple, very applicable, and yet deserves immense meditation, deep study, deserves thoughtful application. Let's begin with this parable here. Well, first, let's, let's drop down the end of verse... 45, kind of the last phrase of the passage here, is really the point of the passage. It's the summary statement that Jesus is giving. It's the application statement Jesus is giving. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, His mouth speaks. That's the whole summary of what Christ is getting at here in this, this brief section. Whatever is in your heart is going to come out. And, and let's not limit the principle there to just speech, right? It, speech isn't the only thing that reveals the condition of the heart. All your conduct reveals the condition of the heart. Right? The heart determines your conduct and reveals your character. So, so the fruit you bear is showing what's on the inside. That abundance that is dwelling in your heart is going to come out. That's the point here. Back in verse 43, Jesus begins to illustrate and stress this point with a parable about the fruit of trees. He says something that's honestly quite simple and universal. We can all understand this uh, analogy, can't we? A good tree bears bad. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does does a bad tree bear good fruit. Right? The fruit reveals what kind of tree it is on the inside. Now, I do want to point out here: the fruit does not determine what the tree is. The fruit reveals what the tree is. And that's important as we talk about analogies in Scripture because external factors like your works-based religion don't determine what the inside is. The inside determines what the external things are. What takes place on the heart is what's determining your fruit. It's not your fruit or your works determining who you are. So you can't try to bear enough fruit or bear enough morality or bear enough charity to have a heart that's belonging to God. The fruit just reveals whether or not the heart belongs to God. And it's quite simple. No good tree is going to reveal bad fruit. No bad tree will reveal good fruit. That fruit is already determined in the tree's genetic makeup deep within that tree. And it's showing us whether or not it's a good tree or a bad tree. 
Now, I think it's also important to say that when we consider this analogy, we're not talking about perfection. Although Christ does call us to be perfect, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. God says be holy as I am holy, but that's not how we are to examine one another because none of us live up to that. None of us are perfect, right? You can still be a good tree and need to be a better tree, right? You can still be a good tree and have room for growth. You can still be a good tree and have a small quantity of fruit. Or your fruit can be small and and it needs to be healthier. But nonetheless, if you are a good tree, you will bear consistent good fruit. Fruit that's consistent with your nature. And vice versa. If you're a bad tree, then the pattern of your life will be marked out by ungodly things. You may have the appearance of godliness, right? But you deny its power. Your, your fruit may look good on the outside, but once it's cut open, it's rotten and worthless. You may have an abundance of fruit, an abundance of charity work and volunteer work and, and practicing morality and other false religions. You may have an abundance of fruit, but it's still nonetheless bad fruit because what's on the inside determines what's coming on the outside and what happens on the outside reveals what takes place on the inside. No, no good tree is going to bear bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. So let's just stop and say, Quit trying to pretend that you're someone you're not. If you are a heart or a life that's been redeemed by Christ, you're not going to fit in with your friends anymore that are of the world. Quit trying to pretend. And if you are not a heart that's been redeemed by Christ, then church is a bad hobby for you because you don't fit in. You can't pretend and you can't mask. And no matter how good of an actor you may be, it will only last for a while. This is a, a unchanging truth of the Lord. It's a universal truth that He is applying to the heart. Verse 44, He makes a very interesting statement. Each tree is known by its own fruit. He's applying that truth to the heart as well. The way you conduct yourself and live your life and the Things you give yourself to says something about you. The heart says the most about you. As we're going to talk about, whatever your treasure is says the most about you. Whatever is the abundance of your heart says the most about you. I thought of Paul though when we when I was studying this. Is we talk about fruit and, and the things we're supposed to bear in life, we are as Christians supposed to resemble Christ if, if, if Christ has captured our hearts in salvation. And if we have the Holy Spirit, whom by the way, His work is primarily a work of the heart, if He is doing His work in our heart, then we will increasingly resemble Christ. And yet at the same time, as we discuss fruit and external behaviors and conduct and all that, we know that we live in a fallen world with a sinful flesh. And I thought of Paul in Romans 7. The law of my mind is at war with the law of my flesh, my, my heart. 
I find myself and I want to do good. There, there's this evil that lies close at hand and I don't do the good that I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, I keep on doing. The, the, the point there that Paul is sharing is I am being sanctified and changed and I'm bearing more fruit for Christ, but I still live in a fallen world with a fallen body. And until I go be with Christ, I'm not perfect. I'm not glorified. I'm not sanctified. I wrestle with this flesh. And that's still true of us as we examine the fruit we bear. We're not examining perfection. We're not saying that as you look into your heart, if you are not perfectly obedient to the Bible, then you don't belong to Christ. That's that's not the message. The message is, are you bearing fruit that keeps with Christ? So when you battle, like Paul talks about in Romans 7, and wrestle with your flesh, and wrestle with the sin? Are you wrestling as Christ would have you wrestle? Do you respond? Do you bear the fruit of repentance? Do you respond to sin in repentance? Do you respond to sin in confession and prayer? Do you respond to sin in correction? Do you wrestle with the ungodliness in your life? Do you renounce ungodliness? Are you seeking to eradicate ungodliness? We still wrestle with a fallen body and a fallen heart. But how we wrestle in the battle that we wage against that sin in our life says something about the fruit we're bearing. Or are we the bad tree and, and we care nothing about the sin we commit? In fact, we indulge in sinful things with no regret or godly remorse. We despise correction. We resist accountability. That's, that's the fruit we're looking at here. How do you respond to Christ and sin? Do you bear fruit that says that you are now a child of God? Do you bear fruit that says you are living in the world? Because figs are not gathered from thorn bushes. And grapes are not gathered from a bramble bush. Children of God, though they wrestle with sin, and though they can backslide and fall off into a wrong path, they will not forever consistently bear the fruit of the world. Figs are not coming from thorn bushes. I also find it interesting about verse 44. Each tree is known by its own fruit. This kind of eliminates our excuses, doesn't it? This kind of removes the, the blame game that we so typically try to play. One of, the, one of the most detestable statements in my mind is when a Christian has bad behavior or conduct or whatever, we all get there, but their reasoning is the devil made me do it. I hate that. I despise that statement. Because we're all responsible for our own actions, our own hearts, our own conduct. And yeah, we wrestle and we war and we're not perfect, but we are responsible. And so this tree's fruit isn't determined by the tree next to it. And that, that tree's nature and health isn't determined by the tree next to it. We don't have any excuses to levy at others or blame blames to levy at others. We are responsible for our own fruit. The actions we commit in life and live by in life and the things we do in life, we are responsible for them. 
what you watch, what you listen to, what you read, what you indulge in, what you spend your money on, your time on, what occupies your thoughts the most, that starts to reveal what's on the inside. And that, isn't that a sobering thought? And a frightening thought? I've shared it many times before. If, if you guys knew the, the deep darkness that I wrestle with in my mind and heart, you would never allow me to stand before you. It's a sobering thought that the things that occupy our minds the most reveal something about the condition of our heart. Verse 45, Jesus now applies His analogy. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. There's a glaring word there, isn't there? Treasure. You have this, this paradox here that the Lord is, is using good and evil, this opposition, this, this contrasting picture. But the glaring word is the, is the word treasure. What you treasure says the most about you. The heart is a sensitive thing, isn't it? And what I mean by that is it's easily influenced. It's easily swayed. And how we could all, I wish I could go back to the wise counsel I was given as a kid that the choices I make today have lasting effects upon my life because my heart is easily influenced. Whatever I treasure today determines something for me tomorrow. That's wisdom. The choices I make today, the things I give myself to today, the things I spend my heart on today can have lasting and oftentimes devastating effects for tomorrow. And we know that all too well, right? We, we have too many times in our lives, even as born-again believers, treasured the wrong things. It has wreaked havoc in our hearts. We're going to get to it in a little bit, but the glorious truth is Christ changes the heart, right? But we learn something here from verse 45. Good and evil come from within. And they are produced by whatever molds your heart. Whatever your treasure is. So there again, excuses are eliminated, right? You're not forced to do evil. You're not forced to do good. Evil and good come from your heart. What does James chapter 1 say? We are lured and enticed and tempted by our own desires and our own heart. And that by whatever is molding our heart. Lasting effects come from the choices we make. The things we watch today on TV affect our minds tonight and our hearts tomorrow and our outlook on Tuesday and how we conduct ourselves on Wednesday and on and on and on. The music we listen to. Let me let me tell you, I'm I'm also tired of hearing that I just like the beat of the song. Those lyrics are worldly and they corrupt you. It is a bold lie of the devil 
that is being perpetrated in the world today that you can indulge in whatever you want without any lasting consequences. That is simply not true. The reality is what we spend ourselves on, those things we treasure, those things we keep pouring into ourselves are what is going to shape and mold our hearts. And what shapes and molds our hearts determines, rather, not determines, reveals the condition of our heart. So, so the natural question is, and you, you, you should be asking this as you read the verse yourself, what do I treasure? What am I giving myself to? What am I spending myself on? What am I pouring into my heart? If you don't know the answer, just look at your fruit. The truth is, and we know this as Christians, the treasure of our heart should be Christ, right? We should be so enamored by the glory of Jesus that the bad fruit starts falling away and getting pushed out. Our hearts should be so ingrained with the splendor of Christ that there's not room for anything else. The treasure of your heart is what produces either good or evil. So treasure Christ and, and let Christ reign in your heart and let Christ dwell in your heart and let Christ be everything of you. And by the way, when I talk about heart, I mean the, the very seat of who we are, right? The, the center of us, our soul, our, our nature, our being. Let it be consumed with Christ so that when we are pressed and, and, and shaken and, and squeezed, it's Christ that comes out. How many times have I personally asked the Lord, let me be so filled with Your Spirit that He just splashes out of me. I can't help but converse about Christ and His Word. and I long that for all of us. That we so treasure Christ that when persecution comes our way, we respond as the other martyrs tied to the stake singing hymns of praise to God. There's another word in verse 45. Abundance. Out of the abundance of the heart His mouth speaks. They're closely associated, although they're different, I think. But whatever you treasure will be the abundance. And whatever the abundance of your heart is, is what you treasure. And the more you expose yourself to those worldly things or godly things, the more your heart is shaped by such things. That's why we ask you and, and should be holding each other accountable to and encouraging one another to spend time in Scripture and to spend time in fellowship together and to spend time worshiping the Lord together and to spend time in prayer together. That's why several of us devote so many nights out of the week with the doors here open for Bible study and prayer times and other things so that we can expose our hearts to the abundance of God's Word and, and fellowship with the saints and edification and, and Christ-likeness and on and on and on because whatever is dwelling in the majority in your heart is what's going to come out, is what's going to dictate what you do. Now as we step back here, we, we are somewhat confronted, aren't we? I don't bear perfect fruit. 
I want to be a good tree, but to be honest with you, sometimes I bear bad fruit. I make bad choices. I do respond in repentance. I am trying to bear the fruit in keeping consistent with Christ. But, but it's convicting when I look at my heart. Because I know I'm treasuring things I shouldn't treasure. I know there's things dwelling in my heart that I do regularly that are in abundance that should not be there. The good news is that Christ changes the heart, right? That's what we said earlier. Christ came to change the heart. It's the pleasure of God to take your heart and to not just polish it, but completely change it. Give you a new one. Take out the old and, and replace one for Him, right? That's the delight of God. But I do want to caution here. Do not hear me wrongly that, again, your external fruit does not determine your in, inward heart. Just reveals. So don't be guilty here of thinking, I can just do more good stuff and then I'll have a good heart. Christ alone changes the heart. There's no amount of good fruit that you can try to bear that will, in essence, change your heart. Only Jesus can do that. So, so don't be guilty of being prideful thinking you have the power to change what's on the inside. You don't. If you're not in Christ, your inside is dead. But if you're convicted that God, I can't hide it anymore. My heart is not for you. I want it to be, but it's not. The good news is Christ changes the heart, right? Christ alone changes the heart. And any heart can come to Jesus in faith, be forgiven and pardoned of their sins and saved. What a glorious truth. You know, as we deal with nature around us and universal principles and stuff, we always deal with things that are alive that end up dying. Just part of nature in this fallen world. Christ is the only one who deals with dead things and makes them alive. So we're used to looking at good trees getting burned out and dying. But the beauty of the Gospel and salvation is that I was once a dead tree and have been made alive. And I was once bearing fruit consistent with the world and consistent with the Father of lies and in opposition to Christ. And yet, now my heart has been made new by Jesus and I bear fruit that may not be full quantity or perfect, has room to grow, but I bear fruit that is in accordance with Christ. That's, that's the beauty of the Gospel. That a heart that could be in opposition to God in opposition to the things of Scripture is now although not perfect, loving God and loving the Scriptures and desiring to be in, in God and in His Word. That's, that's the fruit we're talking about here. The heart that's given over to Christ is a heart that will be influenced by Christ, changed by Christ, growing with Christ. You don't gather figs from thorn bushes or grapes from a bramble bush. 
You don't have a heart that's been truly changed by Jesus and yet lives forever in opposition to Him. It's because Christ is too strong and Christ is too powerful and He cares too much, right? Jesus cares too much to just save a person and leave them alone. He cares too much about them. He saves them and He begins to mold them, shape them and work in them. The Holy Spirit is too too all-consuming and too too powerful and, and too glorious to indwell a person and not change their conduct or change their heart. No, he, he loves them too much to let them continue bearing bad fruit. He wants them to bear good fruit for God. And the beauty is, like I said, Christ is the one who can change that heart to, to treasure Him and to dwell with Him in abundance and to live for Him and love Him and all those things. A passage like this calls us to respond. And Jesus structured His sermon that way. He talks about how a believer should live a life that's sold out for Him in the first 26 verses. He talks about how a believer should interact with those of the world, love them. He talks about how the believer should interact with those in the church, patience and forgiveness. He talks about now this examination. Take the log out of your eye, but examine your heart here. And then the response, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Perhaps one of the most convicting verses in Scripture. Essentially, he's saying, I'm I'm telling you, your heart is incredibly important. And what you put into it is incredibly important. But why are you not listening to me? Why does that not impact your life? Why does that not cause you to renounce some things that are not necessary? Some luxuries that you may need to give up because they're bad influences on your heart. Your heart is important and what you put in it is what's going to come out and what comes out. If you bear the name of brother reflects upon me, why don't you listen to me? about the importance of your heart. Verse 47, Everyone who comes to Me and hears My words and does them, I'll show you what He's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, persecution came, life happened, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do the words of mine is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Those who expose themselves to the Gospel, the truth of Christ, the teachings of Jesus, and have no response to it, build their house on the sand. And when the time comes for that flood to arise, their ruin will be great. For they will have heard the Gospel of Christ. And they will have heard the truth of Jesus. And they would have disregarded it. And there will be a time when they, like Esau, will seek repentance with tears and will not find it. But those who lay aside their pride 
confess their sin before the Lord and admit their sin before other believers, trusting in Christ for salvation and understand the importance of giving their heart to Jesus, whoever hears those words responds to the message of that Gospel is like a man who built his house on the rock. And it doesn't matter what happens in life. And it doesn't matter what persecution comes. It doesn't matter what kind of flood arises against you. You are firmly built and firmly rooted in Christ. You belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You belong to a king whose reign will never end. A mighty protector, a shield, a refuge. The heart that treasures Christ. The heart that is abundant in the things of God. A heart that is submitted to Jesus as Lord is a heart that is eternally protected. What can man do to me? They may kill the body, but they cannot kill the body and the soul. We have an eternity waiting for us if our hearts are given to Jesus. So you are forced to response this to respond this morning. You, you don't have a choice. You don't have an excuse. Christ lays out here before us that the abundance of the heart matters to Him. Will you listen to His words about the seriousness of your heart, what you're putting into it, and whether or not you need to repent? Or will you ignore His words and be like the man who built in the sand? When Christ says to do something, there's no shame in doing it right. When Christ says to do something, who cares what everybody else thinks? If Christ tells me to respond, examine my heart and repent of sin, I will do so and be better off for it. It is the fool who says, I don't need to listen to that. Or that doesn't matter. Or I'll just try to bear better fruit and be a better person. Now that that's not how it works. The response demands that we respond to the message of the Gospel. That Christ would work in our hearts. And so I hope and pray this passage in some way speaks to you personally in that regard. And that just maybe Christ would sit heavily upon your heart and weigh upon you. And that today you would respond accordingly. Maybe as a believer you need to respond in repentance and you need to seek the Lord in prayer. Lord, help me to bear better fruit for You. Be a better witness for You. Maybe you're an unbeliever. You need to come to Christ in faith for salvation. Either one is the right response. The wrong response is to ignore Father, I do thank You for Your Scriptures because they so clearly show us what matters to You. God, one rarely ever feels like they perfectly communicate a passage of Scripture. And our hope is always that Your Word would speak above and beyond us and beyond myself, that it would penetrate hearts and lives. 
people would examine even specifically for this passage. People here, Lord, would examine what they're giving themselves to. What they treasure. What's taking up residence in their heart. And they would respond accordingly. God, our hearts are weak. And not a one of us in here are perfect. And as I've said many times this morning, I'll say it again, Lord, we know that trying to be good is not the answer. Our hearts are too weak to try to be good. We need You to give us new hearts and to strengthen our hearts and to change our hearts and to help us bear the fruit of the Spirit fruit of You, Lord, the marks of Your salvation. There is no such thing as sitting idly by. We're called to grow and we're called to trust and we're called to walk with You. Let us examine ourselves, Lord. Good and healthy. And seek You to work this sanctification within us. We love You, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.